Missouri House and Senate each passed a bill out of committee that would potentially allow Missouri families to send their students to a public school outside their home district, which is a pretty big deal in Missouri. And it has come up multiple years in a row. I think we have some momentum this year for having it happen. But, um, and the Show Me Institute has put out some uh, model legislation on this, but I still have some questions around that I get asked uh, a lot about how the funding could work. And so I'm really happy to be talking to Aaron Smith of the Reason Foundation this morning, who's an expert on this topic. And you guys, in fact, have put out a few uh, comprehensive studies on open enrollment in the last year. And uh, I had your colleague, uh, Jude Schwallenbach, if I said that right, on the podcast recently to talk about what are the principles of a good policy. But the thing that a lot of folks have a hard time understanding is how can it possibly work on the funding front? Because I have people say to me like, well, I bought this house in this district and I pay the property taxes. And that's not fair if somebody gets to not pay those property taxes and just have their child come to my district. So, um, I know you guys have a new study out on this, Aaron. So I just appreciate you joining us to explain why that should not be what prevents a good open enrollment policy. Yeah, thanks for having me here. I'm I'm excited to talk about the topic. The state that we point to, that I point to mostly uh, from reading your information, is Wisconsin for how they fund it. And when when we talk about it in Missouri, we have a foundation formula. And um, the amount that, you know, it's about $6,500, give or take $6,400. I know you've looked into Missouri's finances, financing. You know this already. Uh, I know this, but, um, you know, some students get a lot less than that. Some students get a lot more than that. So to simply take a student's uh, enrollment and put it into this new district would mean that in some cases, uh, uh, they get their state funding. Some cases that child represents a couple hundred dollars. And in some cases that child represents more than $8,000. So how does Wisconsin do it in a way that uh, is better than that? Well, basically, Wisconsin um, addresses the problems with um, funding portability. And by portability, um, we mean uh, the flow of dollars, in this case, across uh, school district boundaries. And so to take a step back um, at a very basic level, um, school finance systems simply weren't designed with portability in mind. Uh, most of them have roots uh, dating back to the early part of the 20th century in the 1920s uh, when the foundation funding formula was first developed. Um, and it was developed for good reason. Um, there were, you know, there were and there still are um, large variations in, in, in property wealth in most states. And so some school districts can raise uh dollars more readily than others. Um, and so foundation formulas help to address that, um, but they also cause problems in terms of portability. So um, what a lot of people don't realize is that dollars don't always follow the child neatly across school district boundaries. Um, and in, in our study, we basically simplify it down to, um, to a few basic problems. Um, The first is what we call off-formula school districts. Um, And this simply means that um, there are school districts that are generally property wealthy that don't generate any funding um, under their their state's funding formula. So they are entirely locally funded. Um, I won't get into the mechanics of why that is so, but basically they have enough dollars locally to to satisfy their, their revenue entitlement under the formula. Um, that doesn't mean they don't receive any state dollars. There's sometimes outside the formula funding that they get, but generally speaking, the bulk of their dollars are, are local dollars. Um, 
And why this is a problem for, um, for open enrollment is because in a system where students transfer from one school district to another, these off-formula school districts don't actually generate any new funding for those students. So unless uh, policymakers intervene and um, create a, a different mechanism or overhaul their funding formulas, um, there aren't good incentives for them to take on transfer students. Um, and this is problematic because we know from research um, across a, a number of states that school districts don't necessarily welcome all, all comers. Um, even if they have open seats, um, even if they have the available capacity, they might still reject transfer applications. And so in our study, we, we, we identify this, this problem and a couple others, and we um, show ways that um, states can address this issue. Um, and so, oh, go ahead. Yeah, what are those ways? I mean, so yeah. in Missouri, you know, for folks who are listening to this in Missouri, it makes me think of a district outside St. in the St. Louis County region, which is Clayton, and they only get a few hundred dollars per student in their foundation formula. So that means if a student transfers from a lower income district in the St. Louis County area, let's say they come from Hazelwood and they go to Cl Clayton, Clayton gets to add them into their enrollment numbers, but that's only going to be a couple hundred dollars. So there is no incentive whatsoever for Clayton to take in any students, right? Right, right. And that's a, uh, a, a big problem with um, the funding formula. Um, there, there are a couple other problems. Um, for instance, local dollars generally don't follow the child. Um, and in some states, this is more problematic than others. Probably not a huge problem for Missouri, from what I recall, but in a state like New Hampshire, uh, where the state only chips in on average about $4,500 per, per student out of the $22,000 per kid that they spend. Um, right. Off the bat, right, even if you're not in a formula district, even if you receive state funding, um, the incentives just aren't there. Um, and then the other problem we identify is, um, is basically there's outside the formula um, state aid that isn't tied to enrollment levels. So hold harmless provisions um, are an yep. example. In some states, they have uh, rigid staffing ratios that aren't neatly tied to enrollment. Um, so yeah, so those are the three main portability problems that we identify. And um, we look at a, a few states that have addressed these problems. And probably the best example, as you alluded to earlier, is, uh, is Wisconsin. And uh, rather than overhaul their entire funding formula, which can take years to accomplish, and um, involves appeasing a lot of different interests, as you you probably know. Right. Um, they just address the problem straight on. They um, they created a a statewide per pupil allotment that follows all transfer students to their uh, to their new school districts. Um, and not only did they do that, but they also created a um, a separate allotment for for students in special education um, and also a reimbursement uh, system for 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 very high need students that require a lot of services um, in special education um, so that school districts could be reimbursed um, for, for SPED students up to $30,000 per kid. And, so, and by the way, those are dollars that aren't even coming from the state. They're coming from the home school district. Um, so Okay, so they sort of punish the home school district. So in Wisconsin, it's pretty generous. Every open enrollment student gets $8,200. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So then if I go from Hazelwood to Clayton and before I would have only brought $200 with me and now I bring $8,200 with me, that tells me that the open enrollment program is more expensive to the state. 
It would be, but um, Wisconsin addresses that issue by um, reducing the sending, um, sending district state aid by that amount. By the $8,200. Yeah. So they have an offsetting mechanism that makes it essentially revenue neutral and um, and it all comes out of the, the sending district state aid. So if it's more than what a, a sending district would have gotten per student by the foundation formula, then that sending district or losing this district that loses the student is punished even more than if the child had simply moved. Well, actually, the uh, the way it works in Wisconsin, and you know, without going into the details of how their funding system works, um, the sending districts essentially get to hold on to a large share of um, that transfer students per pupil funding. Um, so, in a way, it creates this win win situation. And sure, um, districts still don't like to lose students because they're losing money, but they're also not losing the the students' full state and local dollars. They're only losing part of that. So unclear. Would the student be counted in the sending district enrollment and not in the receiving district enrollment? And then we just have this $8,200 move hands? Yes. So they oh, Okay. So then yeah. they would continue to be counted and get foundation funding in their sending district. So uh, just so I understand this, then it is it all happens kind of outside of the foundation formula. But I still feel like it, oh, so it punishes the sending district a little bit. But the main thing is that it really benefits the receiving district. It does, yeah. And that's that's the big thing is that the receiving districts all have a financial incentive to enroll transfer students. Um, you could argue, you know, about whether that financial inducement is strong enough for some districts. But um, unlike other states, you know, in this system, there essentially aren't any off-formula school districts. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, one key thing to keep in mind is that it's really not much different than how charter students are funded in a lot of states. It's, it's simply a per pupil allotment that follows the child to, um, to different schools. Um, right. In some states, you know, they may not even want to um, involve the sending district. Uh, they might want to just fund it totally with state dollars. And, you know, there's trade-offs with that, you know, as you uh, mentioned earlier, um, it could cost the state a little extra money, but um, but it also means that um, you know you're you're taking the student out of the sending district's enrollment altogether and, and leaving them out of the equation. I mean, because one big sticking point in Missouri um, is that if we are even able to get this program, which is iffy, uh, it will be voluntary for districts to receive students, which just takes like the, like deflates the balloon of the program, don't you think? Right. I, I completely agree. I think, um, you know, any step in the right direction is positive. So, um, you know, I'm not going to say it's it's not worth passing, but, uh, but certainly uh, I think the research is pretty clear is that um, you need to have strong protections for families um, to, to truly open doors and, and give right. them opportunities. Um, you need to, um, to put them first and ensure that available seats are offered to them. Yeah, I think that the discussion around it often comes down to like, how does it hurt this district or help this district and the, you know, the the impact on the districts. And I don't hear a lot of talk about the impact of the families. Like the right. reason for doing this program is not, you know, I feel like many, maybe most 
families in a school district, especially if you've had the ability to move kind of where you want to, for the most part, you're pretty happy and you don't want to split your kids up. And there's a bunch of reasons why you're probably okay. You're going to probably stay in your home district. This is a program that is designed specifically for kids for whom the education system is failing them, isn't working, right? Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, uh, and kids transfer for diverse reasons, right? It's not just academic. It's not just about test scores. Um, we do know that they tend to tr transfer to higher performing school districts, but um, they have different reasons. So uh, some students might want to escape bullying. Others want um, access to different instructional or um, curricular models. Um, so there are diver diverse reasons. And I would, I would point out that um, the research is pretty clear that there are positive competitive effects. Um, so sure. even school districts that lose students to open enrollment, these school districts that that might be hesitant to um, to support a um, you know a widespread universal program, um, research shows that they when they lose students they do a better job of engaging their communities. Um, they reach out to parents and they they see what they can do better and um, and they actually make reforms based on those um, you know those recommendations. So um, I think there's there's a lot of reasons to support it. Um, certainly, first and foremost, um, you know, uh, doing it for the the students. But um, I think you can uh, create a more robust and effective ecosystem uh, with those positive competitive effects. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we've already had in this legislative session one district asked to get carved out and out of sending, and they got it. And they said, we are in too much financial trouble because we're so low performing, and what we need is money. So please you know, hold us harmless from the program. And I think at least one more might ask for that. And that's already happening. And again, you're losing, you know, the potential benefit of this program because people are so kind of freaked out about losing the money that comes with each kid. And yet how many people, how many students participate in Wisconsin? Tens of thousands, right? Right. Over 70,000. And so Wisconsin's program has grown from um, under 3,000. The first year of the program started in the late 90s. And uh, over 20 years later, yeah, more than 70,000 students are participating and districts adjust. And it, that's just how they operate now. Right. Right. And, and, you know, to those school districts that are um, that are worried about losing students, you know, the, the question is, like, what do you need, need to do better to improve? Why do students want to leave your school district? So rather than then try to, 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 you know, make them stay, um, maybe address the problems that um, that make them want to leave. Yeah. And they'll say the problem is they need more money. You know, I think it's kind of interesting because in Missouri, I think our foundation formula was passed in 1955. But, you know, around Brown versus Board of Education, when it became the tool to try to address child poverty was to move educational resources around the system, including the federal government, getting involved with Title I on all these foundation formulas. And certainly I would love to give you a minute to explain California's system, but, or Tennessee's like, you know, we're, we're sort of moving. I feel like we're now kind of moving away from that. Like the state can pull these levers and make sure everyone's equal because it didn't really work. Right. I mean, we have yeah, I mean, used achievement gaps. Right. Yeah. And I mean, <clears throat> I think, you know, it's, it's an endless debate, but um, I think research has shown that more money is not going to eliminate achievement gaps. Um, you know, there, there, there's research showing that it can help uh, diminish some of those effects. Um, but when you look at the data, um, when you look at spending patterns and NAEP scores over the past couple of decades and even beyond, um, I think it's pretty clear 
um, there isn't a, a neat relationship between, um, between spending and outcomes. Um, you can find states that have spent a lot more money that have flat outcomes. Um, you know, New York comes to mind, they're spending over $30,000 a kid now. And, wow. uh, their, their, their funding has grown tremendously over the past couple of decades. Um, and, and their outcomes aren't any better. Um, and oh, by the way, uh, they've also lost about 10% of their students in the last couple of decades. So they're spending more, they have fewer students and their outcomes are flat. So um, I, I think a better question is just how can we give kids um, access to educational opportunities that, that fit their needs? Um, yeah. And more money is not going to solve that problem. Uh, we need to make sure that dollars follow the child and that they have opportunities outside of their residentially assigned schools. Yeah, I mean, there was, you know, as these foundation formulas really took hold, <clears throat> there were immediately lawsuits on that they weren't equitable enough and and they didn't need to do a better job spreading, spreading the money around. And then there was lawsuits on that the amount wasn't adequate enough. Missouri passed through one of those lawsuits. Ours apparently is adequate enough or enough to provide a high quality education. And I love that we're now sort of post-adequacy moving into like, here's the way you equalize resources. You give it to the family. And you right. let them take it to the place they need to take it to. Would you say, is that a fair statement? Yes, I, I completely agree. And obviously, you know, you see this with states passing universal ESAs. And uh, and that's a that's the gold standard, right? And so we can talk about other school choice policies like open enrollment and charter schools. And we should embrace all forms of school choice. But um, that's truly the gold standard is um, is giving parents access to their education funds and letting them choose their service providers, um, whether they be private or public, right? So we want to have a, a, um, a competitive playing field where both public and private providers compete for, for students. And, um, and right now, you know, you see some states making progress in, uh, with open enrollment, but not ESAs or vice versa. And really, we want all of the above. We just want dollars to follow the child. Yeah, so what, what we're doing in both bills that have passed out of committee so far is the foundation formula, and I think it will create potentially more problems than it solves. And I don't know how to how to convince legislators that the way to go is to take the open enrollment program and make it its own formula, right? right. That's essentially what Wisconsin yeah. did. What did they do That's about exactly transportation? And that's the, um, yeah, so, and, and to me, that's the best way to do it. You don't have to spend years trying to overhaul a funding formula. It's clear, it's transparent. And quite frankly, you know, districts win when they enroll transfer students. Um, and, you know, if you do it right, um, you're also going to open up opportunities for, for students with disabilities. Um, and, um, and that's not to say that Wisconsin's open enrollment system is perfect. One thing that I admire about what they've done is that they have studied the program, they've evaluated it, and they've refined the program over years. Um, so it wasn't just a, a policy they passed in, you know, um, I think it was 97 or 98, and then forgot about it and hoped it turned out okay. Um, they've studied it. And uh, and part of that is having just real clear and transparent, transparent reporting. Um, right. Go to Wisconsin's um, Department of Public Instruction's website, um, you can find all the data you want on open enrollment. So uh, how many um, transfer students districts take in, the number of applications they rejected. Um, you see those transfer flows year over year. Um, and where it gets really interesting is it's it's truly the best form of accountability because um, you see some districts that are losing a lot of students um, that aren't getting a lot of transfer applications. And then those that 
have a lot of transfer applications and doing a great job of holding on to students. Um, so you can design whatever complex accountability system you want with uh, with test scores and, and, and growth calculations. But to me, that is, you know, that's irreplaceable to have that data. And it's it's perplexing to me that more states don't have those figures available because the vast majority of states, I think nearly every state except for three, you don't know what these right. transfer numbers look like. It's not possible to find out. Both our House bill and our Senate bill do not include that. And that I, you know, the Show Me Institute put up this model legislation and uh, made that a, an important component, which is that the state education agency basically has a page where they report all of the flows in and out of every district and a breakdown by demographics, basically, right? Is that what, what Wisconsin does? And you do it over time. And then you can see how the program is functioning. Yes, and you can refine it and um, you can you can ask, you know, difficult questions. You can ask why some districts are rejecting um, a, a large number of transfer students. That that itself might not solve the problem, right? But um, at least there's some transparency around it. Um, in Wisconsin, we know that, um, you know, the, the main reason for rejecting students is capacity. And uh, in some cases, I mean, that's that might be legitimate. In other cases, it might not be. But the first step to understanding the problem is to, to have good, clear, transparent data. And how do they do transportation? Because that's another thing that we're looking into there. Is, you know, Missouri is a very rural state. And I hear anecdotally, oh, well, we don't need open enrollment because kids will have to drive an hour and a half to go to a different high school. I don't think that's right. And I'm in the literally in the process right now at Google mapping all of our high schools to see how far the closest high school right. is. And I've yet to find one that doesn't have another school within, say, 25 or 30 minutes. So I don't believe that that is true. But right. uh, what do you do about transportation? Because that sometimes can be the tail wag that wags the dog. Right. And that's a great question. And I'll, I'll add quickly that um, that there's good research out there showing that rural districts use open enrollment to to stay open, to like continue getting more money and to, to, to boost their enrollment levels. So this isn't something where rural districts are going to lose students and um, they're going to have to close. They, they actually use it to, to help their communities. Um, regarding transportation, the, the first and most basic step in any state is to make sure that school districts are allowed to actually pick up transfer students across district boundaries. Um, in many states, this, this practice is prohibited. I'm not sure um, what Missouri's law says, but um, in, in many states, you cannot drive a school bus across district boundaries to get students. Students have to go to the district boundary. Their, their parent needs to, uh, well, well, their parents need Drop to- Drop them off on the line, you mean? Yeah. No, okay. And then the schools will come and, and pick them up oh, uh, my gosh. from there. So that's the, the, the first and more, most basic step. But um, here, I would also point to Wisconsin, what they've done. And again, they've refined this policy over, over 20 plus years. Um, simple. For, for low-income students, um, they can reply, or they can apply to the state for, I think it's up to $1,300 per year for transportation uh, reimbursement. Um, so, you know, rather than... Um, Trying to have a top-down solution and 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 find ways to uh, to transport students, which you know there might be some good solutions out there. But um, I think putting dollars in the hands of parents and you know one way to do that is reimbursing them for for mileage um, is a good way to do that. Um, and now there's there's problems with 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 how Wisconsin does that. It's a separate appropriation and it's not always fully funded. So there's issues with it. It's not perfect, but uh, to me that's that's how you best address that issue. 
Yeah. You know, it's been really funny to me because four or five years ago when I started talking about open enrollment in Missouri, I got a lot of like, what? That's crazy. How would that work? As though school district lines are, you know, like uh, these things that you see from an airplane is what I always say. Like they're they're, they're completely imaginary, right? In Missouri, especially in our two uh, biggest metropolitan areas like St. Louis, they our districts have gotten kind of smaller and smaller because they carved off like a neighborhood and they they clearly follow redlining. I mean, this idea that we had these sacred school districts, so many of them were in response to really bad motives, but we have right. them, right? And now they've become sacred. Well, I bought my house in this little plot of land, and so I can't let people from this plot of land come in. And I I think slowly we're getting a little bit more, um, I don't know, not acceptance or maybe open-mindedness around the idea that this will not end public education as we know it. This is a kind of a recent thing from about the 60s. And uh, it's a good thing for a community as writ large to not force families of five-year-olds to have to move around, right? Like, right. I think we're getting there, but do you see momentum nationally? Uh, yeah, we, we certainly do. And, uh, and, and to us, this is really a way to enhance public education and make it better. So, yeah. you know, we see, we see nationally... Uh, public school systems are losing students um, in quite large numbers post-pandemic. Um, and open enrollment could be one way to, to keep them within the public education system, right? To give them more opportunities. Um, and so the good news is, yes, uh, nationally, we do see momentum across states. Um, in recent years, Oklahoma passed a uh, comprehensive law um, and you know, some some data are starting to, to, to come out that, um, you know, basically showing that Parents have more opportunities and uh, they're using the program and it's been a, a net positive. Um, other states, uh, Kansas was another that uh, that that passed comprehensive open enrollment. Um, and we've, we've also seen states refine their laws. So states that have had open enrollment for a long time, like Arizona, are um, are working on improving their their transfer laws. So, um, yeah, in this this session, uh, there are multiple states considering open enrollment um, off the top of my head. Um, Texas um, yeah. and Arkansas are two and, and obviously Missouri. And, um, yeah. you know, to me, it's baffling that in 2023, um, some legislators or, or school districts are still resistant to the idea of, of open enrollment. Um, yeah, and, me too. It is baffling is a good word. I mean, I'm, I'm concerned. Missouri, we are losing enrollment statewide. We're projected to lose another 10% uh, just based on statistics. I mean, the National Center for Education Statistics projects that we will be losing by 2030, another 10%. So we're on the decline and kind of nationally we're on the decline too. However, Missouri is on the decline. And uh, my concern is like Iowa has universal school choice now as of like a week or so ago, you can go, you can take your state money to any school of your choice, public or private. Oklahoma and Kansas have robust, uh, they passed good, as I understand it, open enrollment laws from the start, which is great for them. Arkansas, another neighbor. Um, Wisconsin in the same region and families won't want to pick Missouri if we're still, you know, arms crossed, stomping our foot saying, well, what, how would the money work? Well, how would the buses work? Well, we right. love our districts. We don't think anybody would want to change lines. And how is that going to impact us if we lose kids? I mean, all these sort of old tropes, these old arguments that many states worked out decades ago. Right, right. Are like still, you know. And public education still exists, right? School districts are in Arizona. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, I think that it's just 
giving parents what they want. And obviously the pandemic, like, you know, lit a fire under that, but getting parents what they want, which is like, not everyone when their child's getting ready to start kindergarten wants to move, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you wanted to live in the city or whatever your thing is, or you want to live near where you work, but you know, the schools aren't great near where you work, whatever that is, uh, not everyone, I think we're, and I've said this on multiple podcasts, but because a lot of this started in the nineties, a lot of new parents, young parents participated in these programs. And so the idea that you're just going to look at your utility bill and say, oh, here's the kindergarten that my child has to go to, is going to get harder and harder to pass muster if you, if your parents picked a school for you. So I don't think it's going to turn back. I think that the, um, the people who, you know, sort of run public education in our state, the, the superintendents, the school boards, the state education agency, I think they feel like they're a little bit on their heels, but right. um, I appreciate that the legislature is trying to do it. I just wish that we would do a really great, strong law right out of the box. You guys put out so much information. It's not like they can't find out how to do it, right? right? You could look at a state like Wisconsin. You could look at your law. You know what I mean? There's so much information out there that they could be drawing upon. So I really hope that they, that they go with a strong, if we get it passed with a strong law, um, and we can just solve this funding thing. You know, our governor just gave his state of the state and number one for education was fully funding the foundation formula. And I was like, that, that shouldn't be number one in 2020. Like number one should be portability and giving parents what they want. But it was right. um, what clearly the air quotes establishment wants, which is fully funding this formula. It's really too which bad. Is, which, is a, which is a moving target. <laughs> sure, <laughs> that, of course it is. That's all yeah. it's going to be uh, inflated and um, yeah. And our formula is from the 90s. And yes, it did pass a lawsuit. But I mean, things have changed so drastically since the 90s. And we all know that there's this coming fiscal cliff that folks are starting to talk about when the stimulus money dries up, if they even figure out how they ever spent any of it. Um, you know, so I think it's, there's a lot of smart people like you who could be helping if lawmakers would turn to researchers and uh, design good laws from the start. But um, and with open enrollment, you know, it, the, the the most important thing is to keep it simple, just yeah. create a good policy that's deferential to uh, to families and supports them. Um, and listen, uh, you know, for, for better, or for worse, open enrollment isn't doing away with residential assignment altogether. No. Uh, if I had a magic wand, I would certainly do away with it, but uh, that's not what the policy does. And the way most um, open enrollment laws are structured, um, districts can still reject students if they have valid capacity concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not forcing overcrowding, you're not forcing districts to, to take on students they they, they can't serve. Um, and with the funding, yeah, I mean, keeping it clear, simple, and transparent is the best way to do it. Um, not only has Wisconsin done it with their open enrollment funding, but um, many states have done a similar thing with, with charter schools. That's how charter funding generally works is you pro pupilize it. You might wait for a student with disabilities and um, and then let dollars follow the child. So, um, you know, my, my best advice would be to, to keep it simple and um, not to, to complicate things with, um, to complicate things unnecessarily, especially around the funding component. Well, I think that's great advice. And I really appreciate you coming and explaining it to us. Um, you know, I wish you could come and roam the halls of Jefferson City and explain it to everybody. But I do appreciate you explaining it to me. And uh, I think we can figure it out. I was like, we're smart enough. We can figure this out. So, uh, and I appreciate your work. Well, thanks for having me today.